And so Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept by the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. And that may seem harsh, but see, Saul has already made a few mistakes prior to this. He's not listening. And a man who is not governed by God is a man who is not very useful in the hand of God, much less being a leader over his people. All exclaiming Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Despite all the excuses, all the reasons, all the blaming of someone else that Saul produced, the bottom line was the bottom line. Samuel put it plainly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. God commanded him to do something, and he did the opposite. This was no small sin. To disobey God in the smallest matter is sin enough. There can be no sin little, because there is no little God to sin against. Now let's join Pastor Rob. The other time, but especially when I'm going through a difficulty, I need him. I need to rely on him. Rely on him. And whether directly or indirectly, the Lord allows these things to occur in our lives that we may be tried, not to destroy us, not to destroy us, but rather to grow us and mature us in the faith. See, God does not want to destroy you. He wants to bless you. But sometimes in the trial of obedience, you're going to find that it's going to challenge you right to the core. You're going to find that it's going to be something that's going to go against your emotions, your feelings, Your feelings, your emotions are one of the most, uh, the couple of things that the devil loves to manipulate to get people to do things. Your feelings, your emotions, I hate them. Most of the time they lead me astray. Do you have a temper? You're led by your emotions. Do you do things on the fly because of pressure? You're, You're being led by something else. It's times like that, brothers and sisters, that we gotta be really careful. We must be really careful. What does it say in James? Remember, James was a half-brother of Jesus, half-brother. And what did he write in chapter 1, verse 2? He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it do? It produces patience. But then he goes on and he says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so there is a, that there is a testing of our faith. See, God knows what my faith is. He knows everything about me. I don't even know myself. Do you know yourself completely? Do you know how you're going to respond in a certain situation all the time? 
You get caught by surprise, don't you? And then you're surprised that you acted a certain way. That means that I really don't know myself. But God knows me. He knows you perfectly. And he allows things in our life to show us. He already knows, but we need to know. I need to know really where I stand. And there's no other way around it. There's not like Cliff's Notes where I can just look up a quick answer and say, oh, I need to do this. Sometimes i got to wait on him. Sometimes i got to go through something so that God can show me where my faith really is. Where is it when I find out that I've got a tumor growing in my stomach, which happened a couple Mays ago? What do I do? Do I call the doctors and, and, and you know, freak out and get on my face and, and cry and whimper and everything? And, and I did all those things. But there comes a, a peace at some point after you go through the, the what-ifs, which is very normal and very natural. And then, you, then you come to a point where you're like, okay, God, this is, this is, you, you knew about this. It was a shock to me. But he allows these things to prove us, to prove us. He already knows the result, but I need to know where I stand in my faith. Because I can boast a big game. I, I don't really boast a big game, but I could. And then I find that I really don't have the substance behind it to back it up. But see, God, when he reveals things, all of a sudden it shows you really where you're at. And usually I don't find out those things, but in a crisis. And we're going to see Saul failing in God's last test for him. We're going to see this in chapter 15 when we get to it. He's going to fail one time more, and God's going to say, okay, that's it. You had a couple of opportunities here, Saul, and each time you're relying on your arm or your flesh, you're not relying upon me, you're not listening to me, you're not being obedient, and as a king of my people, you have to be different. And God gave him a number of opportunities And finally, God had to take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to someone better than him. And that was David. David. But obedience is very rarely easy, or it's very rarely an easy way. Obedience often will cost you something. And isn't that what worship is? When you're obedient, you're actually going through something difficult, and and in a sense, that's worship. Because worship costs something. If it doesn't cost me something, it's not worship. That's why when God told Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, and take him on top of Mount Moriah and sacrifice him, to me, God says, and Abraham knew that that was wrong, that that's what the nations around them did, the Canaanites, those are the awful things that they did, human sacrifice. Abraham knew that that was wrong, but yet he trusted God. He trusted the Lord. He knew that God was going to do something because he told the servant when he and his son went up to the mountain, he says, me and the lad are going to come back. We're going to come back. I think Abraham knew in his heart that he was going to go through this and God was going to do something. He was either going to raise him from the dead after he's plunged that knife into his heart or God was going to intervene. And, of course, God intervened because God knew that that was not the right thing either. But he trusted God. Isn't that amazing that he knew the voice of God well enough to know that it was really him and not just some demon masquerading as God? Do you know the voice of God? Do you know that still small voice? You know how you find out? 
When you hear that still small voice, you be obedient to it. And make sure that what you're doing is biblical. And then when you follow through and you're obedient and you see the result of that, and you're like, oh, wow, Lord, that was really something. I would never have done that. And he's like, I know. But because you did, that person got saved today. I asked you to go over and just tell that person, just go over there, and this has happened. You go over and you tell that person that I love them. And you just have this stirring in your heart, and you're like, God, this is really awkward. I've never done anything. He said, just go do it. And then you follow through on it. You go over and you say, you know what? This is going to sound crazy, but the Lord just wants me to tell you that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, and that person falls apart. (laughs) And then you find out that that person was about ready to end their life, and they, they said, God, if you're real, then do something. Tell me that you love me today somehow. Show me that you love me. And then somebody comes along and says, Jesus loves you. Because you were obedient, now that person's faith has been encouraged. Obedience. In Hebrews 5, verse 8, it says that Jesus, Paul speaking, he said that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He didn't need to learn anything, but he learned obedience. He was obedient to his Father by the things that he suffered. And we're all learning to be more obedient when we suffer. I don't learn a lot when I'm, everything's going well, but sometimes when I suffer, those are the, things, those are the times that I really learn. The best lessons in life that I've learned have always been through heartache and pain. Is that true for you too? For most of my lessons, the greatest lessons have been through great trial. They've been through difficulty, heartbreak, where it just I felt like I was being ground to powder. Have you ever felt that way? And that's the way that's often the way God He does His greatest work. And he said, I felt compelled. He felt restrained. And remember that God is never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. Be careful of when you're being forced or feeling compelled to do anything. In Proverbs 21, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those, to, those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. And I can attest to that. I've done things quickly and found out that was just the wrong thing to do. Another Proverb 29, verse 20 says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And I can attest to that too because I've made a fool of myself by being hasty. God is never in a hurry. Trust him in the process. Trust him in the time. And if Saul was obedient to the Lord, even though he knew these Philistines could be coming, and if he was just willing to be obedient and to stop and just wait, God can take care of anything else. He could have. But again, we we look at the physical, and we get frightened, and we respond in the flesh. And God is just saying, Saul, just wait. And this is a big thing for him. This is something he had to learn. And he didn't learn it. He didn't learn it here. He's going to do it again in chapter 14 and 15. But see, God knows our hearts, and he's very concerned about obedience, and he's very concerned about purity and holiness. And you can't do it in your own strength, right? You need the Spirit of God in you. You need to ask Christ into your heart to be able to even do these things. I can't do it myself. We've proven that. Haven't you proven it? I I proved... You know, up to my point right now, as I'm standing before you, I've proved, and I'm continuing to prove, that what God says is true. 
And so Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept by the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. And that may seem harsh, but see, Saul has already made a few mistakes prior to this. He's not listening. And a man who is not governed by God is a man who is not very useful in the hand of God, much less being a leader over his people. Now, other kings made their mistakes, so did David. But when David made his mistakes, David cracked like an egg. He did some really horrible things when we get to his life, and you know those things. He committed adultery and even murder. But then David broke, and he was never the same again. He never turned to that ever, ever again. And his heart was completely broken and contrite and broken, and God would not turn him away. God forgave him, and he became one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. But he suffered consequences. He learned obedience by the things, through the things that he suffered. And David was a man, and notice in verse 14, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. We know that that's David. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You haven't been obedient, Saul, and there's somebody else who is going to be obedient to me, and he is going to be the man after my own heart. Even though he's not a perfect man, none of us are perfect, but David had a, had a wonderful heart, and he was an obedient man. He was committed to God. He was surrendered to God, which is what we need to be. Are you a man or woman after God's own heart? Do you remember the days if you have a spouse? Do you remember the days when you wooed them, when you courted them, and you'd do anything for them? You were so happy to see them. How's that today? Do you still feel the same way? And I don't say that to make you feel awkward or bad. But let's work on those relationships with our spouses, with our family members, and especially with God. Are you pursuing the Lord in the same way? Are you after his heart? Do you really want to know his heart? If not, why not? Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Doesn't the Bible say, taste and see that the Lord is good? Is he good? If he's, if he's not good, then find somebody else. But I can tell you, you're going to be looking for a long time, and you're not going to find him The search is over when you come to Jesus. Can you say amen to that? My search is over. There's no one who claimed to be God in the flesh. He alone is God in the flesh. You've got nothing to lose but everything to gain, and I mean everything to gain. And notice at the end of verse 14, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded, there are consequences for disobedience. We don't have time tonight, but I would encourage you to read Uh, Deuteronomy 27 and 28. These are the blessings and the cursings where God says, if you do this, then I will do this. These are very conditional promises. It'll come to pass that if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then there's a great list of those. You can read those in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 25. And we're going to see that Saul, if you read through that list tonight, you're going to see that Saul encountered many of those things at the end of his life. The enemy did overtake him. In fact, the Philistines shot him with an arrow, and then he had to ask his armor bearer to finish him off before they came and tortured him. And the poor guy, he didn't even have the guts to kill his, his, his king, which I don't blame him. Instead, Saul fell on the sword. He took the sword himself, and once the armor bearer saw that, he's like, well, I'm, I'm toast. <laughs> if he's dead, how can I go back? 
My job was to protect him. So he fell on the sword, on his own sword. He died. But that's what happened. Saul was disobedient. See, God wants us to be obedient children. And not only that, but all of his sons, many of his sons would be killed. In the same day, Jonathan, his son, would be killed. A wonderful man, a, a very great friend of David. David and Jonathan had this wonderful relationship. We're going to see that as we go through the, of Samuel. They really loved each other. I mean, these were like two guys that were like real men, but they loved each other. It was a, it was a brotherhood. It was a bond. That, that it, was, it, was, it was so tight. And I tell you, when you have a relationship like that with any person on the planet, it's amazing. Very rare is it to have that kind of bond. And David and Jonathan had that bond. They truly loved each other. And you can say that with a impurity. They loved each other. They would do anything for each other. David would take the sword for Jonathan, and Jonathan would gladly take the sword for David. They had that kind of a friendship. That, that, that's, that's what real friendship is. Greater love has no man than this, than that a, a man lays down his life for his, his friends. Verse 15, it says, Then Samuel rose, and he went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. So he goes up from that place of Gilgal. He goes back to his hometown in Gibeah. And Saul numbered the people present with him, and they were about 600 men. So he went literally from 2,000 men surrounding him. Now he's got 600 guys. Everybody else abandoned him because they were scared to death of what the Philistines were going to do. So verse 17, then the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned on the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shuel. Another company turned to the road of Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. And so basically, you know, now the Philistines are in Mishmash where Saul used to be. And you can see they're gaining ground. And so there's even a greater fear, isn't there? Because Saul was, if you remember, in the first part of the chapter, he and his 2,000 men were in mishmash. And who's there now? The Philistines. And now they're sending out bands of raiders, making things even worse. And notice what it says. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. The Philistines, they had this great skill with iron, and they were able to make tools, and that's why they could make iron chariots, they could make swords and spears, and it was an art. And the Philistines kept that art from the, the Israelites. And so the Israelites were kind of dependent upon them. And it goes on and it says, But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle, these farm tools that they're going to use and they would the philistines would charge them an exorbitant amount to 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 sharpen these things but then they wouldn't really do a great job because they knew that they were probably going to be used against them see that's a funny thing about war and and back in these times there was an honor during normal peacetime they would go down and get their they would pay them it was a good income for the philistines but the philistines weren't worried but you know why because they had all the best stuff they had the swords, and they made their own stuff. They weren't worried about these farmers coming with their, their pickaxes and stuff like that. They go, yeah, I'll, I'll sharpen it for you. What are you going to do with that? It's going to cost you an arm and a leg, though, pal. And that's what happened. So in the charge for sharpening, sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, which was an absorbent amount to do that. The mattocks, the forks, the axes to set the points on, on it. And so it came about on the day of battle that there was neither 
sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. So all the people didn't have anything. They had these pickaxes, little primitive farming tools to, to fight the battle with. But notice it says, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. You know, I don't know what to think about that. I mean, naturally a king and his son would want to protect themselves at the very best. I, I can, there's a part of me that can get that. But there's a part of me also that says if they had at least one for each of them, maybe they should have given some to the other guys, you know, maybe some of the best warriors. But then it goes on and finishes in verse 23, and we'll stop here. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. And so um, next week we'll look at uh, chapter 14 where we really see Jonathan really shining in his faith and really um, just really outshining his father who was really a coward. And Jonathan was a man of faith. But again, tonight was about obedience. And just ask yourself that question. Am I, am I an obedient son or woman of God? Do I make excuses for my shortcomings? Or am I, am I going to be obedient? There are blessings for obedience, folks. There really is. Being obedient to God is the best thing. And I'm learning that even if it takes time, even if it's not on my timetable, if I'm obedient to God, the way is peaceable, and I always can put my head on the pillow at night and know that God is in control, and I don't need to worry about it. God is in control. Is God in control of your life? Do you know that he's in control of your life? Do you find yourself frustrated and feeling like you've got to do something now in haste? Hey, listen, whenever you feel that way, be obedient. Take some time and pray and wait and wait. And don't just rush to quick decisions. Trust in the Lord. You can trust in him, by the way. Do you know that he's trustworthy? Is there anybody else who's really trustworthy? Do you believe that God knows the end from the beginning? I would encourage you tonight to read Psalm 139. It talks about God's omniscience, the fact that he can't learn anything. He knows all things. And he's in every place at one time. He knows exactly what's happening. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow in your life. He knows exactly what's going to happen in your life and in my life. Tomorrow at 1 p.m., he knows exactly what you're going to be doing. He could whisper it in your ear if he wanted to. And he could say, you know what? You're going to be choking on a chicken nugget tomorrow at 1 o'clock. <laughs> but you're going to be fine because a, a young lady from Calvary Chapel of Webster is going to come and she's going to do the Heimlich maneuver and it's going to be out. You'll be fine. But that's what's going to happen. He knows. Do you trust him? Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, as we, as we read this chapter and we see the, um, the life of Saul and just his, uh, his disobedience, Lord. We see his lack of faith. And, and Father, lest we get too hard on Saul, God, we also need to look at our own lives and examine our own selves tonight. And Lord, help us to take those, take stock of what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, may we run to you. May we trust you. And Lord, may you give us an even greater faith than what we have currently, Father, and help us to grow day by day that we would know of your love for us. And so we thank you, Lord. I pray that you get us all home safely tonight. I pray that, God, you would do these things in us, Lord. We know that we can't do it of ourselves, Lord. We have to rely upon you. Would you please help us, Lord? We are needy. We need you badly, God. Please touch our lives and get us home safely. 
and bless our day tomorrow, Father, according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.